He was chancellor of the Reformation Bible College. He was executive director of Table Talk Magazine. Uh, there's a daily radio program called Renewing Your Mind, uh, which is broadcast in the U.S. and to many countries around the world. He's a prolific writer, uh, wrote more than 100 books, including The Holiness of God. Now, I ask a first service because many of us years ago were first introduced to the teachings of Robert Charles Sproul, R.C. Sproul, through the video series or the book, The Holiness of God. Uh, I'm just curious, how many of you uh, have either seen that or read that book? Would you raise your hand? All right, it's about the same. It's about half at the first service, not quite that here. Uh, so he's, had, he, he's preached here at this church years ago. He was a speaker at Macon Biblical Institute. I first heard uh, R.C. Sproul teach when I, I was in seminary. It was the summer of 1980, and I had a job with a friend uh, painting houses and painting the fronts of shopping centers. It, uh, and it was uh, blazing hot and humid in Jackson, Mississippi. And the fellow I worked with, if he wasn't talking, he wanted to be listening to somebody else talk, and I didn't fit the bill for that. So he, he would listen pretty much. He, we would listen to R.C. Sproul teaching cassette tapes while we painted. And one day we were at this small shopping center on the outskirts of Jackson, Mississippi, and, and uh, he would set the cassette player down and turn it up, and as we moved ladders down, we'd get out of range, and he noticed... We couldn't hear R.C. anymore, and the, the tape recorder was gone. So Robert, my friend, he, he, he says, oh, no, somebody stole it. So he starts going down the shopping center, and he's looking around, and then he comes to a shop, and he can hear the voice of R.C. sprawling and hear it. And he goes inside, and there were two women who worked in the shop, and they had the tape recorder on their counter, and they were listening to it and said, who is this? This is tremendous. Uh, so they hadn't stolen it. They wanted to listen to it. And uh, Barbara and I were in Orlando last summer, and we attended St. Andrew's Chapel. And much to our surprise, uh, R.C. Sproul uh, preached. And there he was, having suffered for years, emphysema and COPD, and he had his oxygen tank and his, his tubes, uh, and they got him up into the pulpit. And he was as energetic and enthusiastic and passionate as I'd ever heard him. Uh, and it was, uh, uh, it was amazing. So this Tuesday at 2 p.m., uh, the memorial service will be broadcast online, rcsproll.com, rcsproll.com this Tuesday at 2 p.m. if you're near a computer or your smartphone or wherever and, and uh, want to listen to that. Now, Isaiah chapter 9, we read or heard read most of it. So for the sake of time, which I have very little of today, I, I, I'm not going to reread it. But let me tell you about it. It's a familiar passage. Uh, it is, in, contains encouraging words which were written in a very, very dark and gloomy time. Now, Isaiah was a prophet. Uh, he was a messenger from God. And he lived and ministered in a city, the city of Jerusalem, and he loved the city. So he, we would call him today an urban minister. He was not out where hardly anyone lived. He was there where things were happening. And he began his ministry around 740 B.C., and it lasted 60 years. It's kind of interesting because last night I read that R.C. Sproul's ministry was 60 years as well. 
Isaiah was married with two children. He was highly educated for his day. And he had a respected position in the royal court. And he freely associated with kings and with rulers. But it was a difficult time, even though he was a man who had inroads to people of influence. Spiritually, it was a dark time. Earlier in the book, in Isaiah, it has described what the days were like. It said there were superstitions, there was materialism, there was idolatry, there was arrogance, there was lack of good leadership, there was disintegration of the family and of society. Chapter 3 says there was sensuality. Chapter 5 says there was prolific alcoholism. There was cultic prostitution that was practiced at various shrines. People would offer up their children to the god Moloch in sacrifice. King Ahaz, there the king of God's people, sacrificed his children this way, and Manasseh did the same. So towns and villages had been destroyed, people had been displaced, relocated by their enemies hundreds of miles away. It was very, very dark spiritual time. And into that, verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. So into this darkness comes light. And what we have here, beginning in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, is a birth announcement. It's a birth announcement, but it's not like any other birth announcement you or I have ever received. If you've received one of these cards in the mail and someone says, hey, the Smith family announces the birth of Billy Bob, you know, a good southern name, or or Mary, Mary Jane, we welcome her born on such and such a date. Well, here's why this birth announcement is unusual. The baby hadn't been born yet and would not be born for over 700 years. He's speaking of the birth of Jesus. So he gives this birth announcement, and he refers to this child in verse 6, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government would be on his shoulders. He would establish his kingdom. Christ was a king. He did not come strictly just to preach and to disciple a handful of men. He came to set up a kingdom. Today it's very popular in Bible-believing churches to use the word gospel. I don't mean to preach the gospel, that's part of it too, but to say the word gospel. And now you can find churches described as being gospel-centered, or the sermon was gospel-centered, or the music was gospel-centered. Well, the word gospel is a very, very important word in the New Testament. It's used 90 times, but the word kingdom is used 140 times. Christ came to set up a kingdom, and he's a king. And what does it say about him? It gives these grand names. First, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. It's one word in the original language. It's not like a wonderful counselor, wonderful counselor. The question I am asked probably more often than any other through the years as a pastor is, Chip, do you recommend, can you recommend a counselor here in middle Georgia? Well, if you've asked me that, as some of you have, I respond back with another question. Well, what, a counselor for what kind of issue? Financial counselor, addiction counselor, marriage counselor, somebody dealing with depression or some emotional issues, or what kind of counselor? 
before I can recommend somebody. Because you need expertise, we all need expertise in certain areas. Why? Because even though we may, not ha we may have a lot of knowledge in some area, music or, or business or education or, or some area where you specialize, we only know maybe a lot about a few things, and we need wisdom. We need wisdom from people who have expertise in other areas. Well, here he's called the Wonderful Counselor, and he can answer the most difficult questions. These are the four questions I like that Robbie Zacharias asked people about their worldview. The first is the question of origin. Where did we come from? How did humans get on the earth? You and I can have a lot of knowledge and be asked that question and say, I don't know. Two, meaning. What does life really mean? What is the point of life? Are human beings significant or not? Third, morality. Are there really such things as good and evil? And if so, how do you know what is good and evil? What is good and what is bad? And are these true for everybody? And the fourth is destiny. What happens to a person when he or she dies? Is there life after this life? We need wisdom to know the answers to those questions in Christ as a wonderful counselor. Isaiah looked ahead through the revelation of God and said, This king upon whom the government will rest on his shoulders is a wonderful counselor. And he doesn't stop there. He says he's a mighty God, a God of power. We tend to think of power and might in terms like personal strength or influence or some celebrity that can endorse something and it affects so many sales and people's actions or political power or financial power to do what you want to do. The early disciples were given power, but it was not any of those types of power. The last command Jesus gave them, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So with the message of the gospel, they went out and preached, and they literally won others to Christ and saw the world, their world transformed. Isaiah goes on, not only wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. Now this is kind of strange because you have the revelation coming from God the Father calling Christ the Son the everlasting Father. It's a way of saying everything that I am, he is. It's the way of God the Father saying that about Christ. And he's an everlasting father. He, he won't leave you. Uh, some, perhaps here in a, it, today, it, you, you never knew your father. Maybe he, he died when you were young, or, or he abandoned the family, or something tragic happened, or, or whatever, or... It, they can't be everlasting. There are no everlasting human fathers. But this is an everlasting father. He'll, he will never leave us. He, he can't be taken away through death. He, he, he won't abandon us. Jesus gives this promise, or set of Jesus in John chapter 1, that to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So we are adopted into his family through faith in Christ, and we can call him Father. Then the last grand name he, he calls this one who would come as the Prince of Peace. You know, surveys show that, that most people 
when they're really at, when they're asked what what do you really desire more than anything else, they will say peace, and they mean personal peace, uh, just to be at peace with my circumstances, or to be at peace in my my job, or in my family, or or with other people, or with myself. And, and Christ promised peace. We have this promise in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and, and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is the everlasting Father. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Note at verse 7 in closing. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It will have no end, this kingdom. All earthly kingdoms have an end. If you've studied world history, you, you think back to these various kingdoms that have ruled portions of the world at different times, the Egyptians, the Persians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans. Now, the Roman Empire, I mean, the, the reign that lasted so long, there was a symbol that stood for the authority of Rome. And it was posted all over the world at that time where the Roman Empire ruled. Do you remember what that symbol was? Raise your hand if you're absolutely sure. Now, everybody, will, Matt, what was it, Matt? Well, no. <laughs> Don't you love being able to tell a high school principal he got it wrong? <laughs> Pax Romana is the peace of Rome. This is the symbol of Rome, which was an eagle with outstretched arms. Now you got it? You saw Steven Spielberg's movie? Yeah, all right, so. Then. And there were four Latin letters, and I'll refer to my notes, and they were S, P, Q, and R, the Senate and people of Rome. Here's my point. That was the most important symbol on the planet at one time, or at least those in the Roman Empire. Most of us don't even know what it was. That's how fleeting empires are. This kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, will never end. It is a kingdom of justice and righteousness. Earthly kingdoms are often corrupt, and their leadership rule for their own personal ends. But God's kingdom is one of righteousness. Do you know that the kingdom of God, as far as those who come to profess faith in Christ, increases by approximately 175,000 people per day worldwide? Now, that's amazing, 175,000 people per day. And most of those are coming from Muslim countries. So that ought to be encouraging. God is building his kingdom. The center of it is no longer, sadly to say, in North America. The center of it is more in South America and in Asian countries where we see the movement of Christianity. Well, who brings this about? The Lord Almighty. But he allows us to participate in it. He allows us to preach the gospel, to minister a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, expecting nothing in return. We are here to advance the kingdom, and that glorifies God. Louis Pasteur lived in the 1800s. He was a French immunologist and chemist, and, and he was a pioneer in that field. And Louis Pasteur lived, this may surprise us, when thousands of people died every year from rabies. Could get bitten by all types, different types of animals would carry rabies. And so Pasteur had worked on a vaccine 
for years. And he was just about at the point to where he was going to experiment, as many immunologists did, on himself to see if it would work. About the same time, there was a nine-year-old boy named Joseph Meister who was bitten by a rabid dog. And the boy's mother knew Louis Pasteur and begged him, begged him to inject his experimental vaccine into her son because it would be certain death if he did not. He did over a period of 10 days. He administered vaccine to the boy each day, and the boy lived. Now, Louis Pasteur is known for lots of things, but toward the end of his life, he was asked, what do you want to be remembered for? What are the three words, or what are the words you want etched on your headstone? He said three words, Joseph Meister lived. You and I have the opportunity as followers of Christ to be involved in seeing people for eternity through faith in Christ. That's the most important thing we can be involved in. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we know more than Isaiah knew. He looked ahead and knew that you would send this one, but now we can look back and we know about the birth and the life and the resurrection and the ascension to your right hand. We thank you for that. We may our trust be in Christ and him only. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your order of service. Our hymn of response is Angels We Have Heard on High. Let's stand and sing together.
we go forth now with the blessing of God. May grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.